Asking anyone to pay close attention to their inner world is a big deal, and that's what happens in meditation. For some people, that can be calming and relaxing, but for others, especially if we've experienced trauma, this can be a big and perhaps challenging moment. Today, my guest is David Trelevin, a writer, educator, and trauma professional working at the intersection of mindfulness and trauma. He is the founder of the Trauma-Sensitive Mindfulness Community, a group of practitioners committed to setting a standard of care through mindfulness-based practices, interventions, and programs. His main focus of work is training meditation teachers to look at how someone's nervous system response is related to meditation practice, empowering them to offer modifications that support people in order to get the benefits of meditation. In today's episode, we talk about the connection between trauma, a dysregulated nervous system, and meditation, how and why that can be challenging, what the window of tolerance is, and how mindfulness can expand our capacity to be with the adversity and trauma of 2020. I'm Dina, and you're listening to the One Fierce Heart podcast, a podcast about people finding wisdom, courage, and compassion when life got challenging, and occasionally guest experts in various fields. So here's David. The short story of how this work happened is um, I was a meditator, doing a lot of meditation, and I also trained in psychotherapy. And um, based on some experiences I had, I got really interested in the relationship between meditation and um, adversity or trauma. Like basically, how does mindfulness and meditation, how does it help with um, stress and difficulty and challenge? And where might it actually be more unhelpful for people that are experiencing very high degrees of stress? So um, I did a, a dissertation on the topic um, where I was basically looking at meditation instructions through the lens of contemporary trauma work. And uh, the dissertation uh, was recorded. Uh, a lot of people watched it. And so I started to get emails over the years from people who were meditators who said, I feel like an experience that I had um, earlier in my life uh, is coming up in meditation. And I'm wondering if, if I can tell you my story about it. So um, Long story short is that I started to really focus on this topic and eventually developed a whole series of kind of best practices like, well, what is trauma and what would meditation teachers and people practicing meditation, what would they need to know to practice meditation in a way that supports um, their own nervous systems and also their process of trauma recovery? So that's where the work comes from, trauma-sensitive mindfulness basically means we're sensitive to the needs of people who are struggling with trauma. And, you know, trauma is such a, it covers such a range of experiences. And I feel like I wasn't aware. I had a very narrow focus, you know, and knowledge of what trauma was. Uh, can we cover the basics on trauma and what that means and how can someone experience it like physically? Like I know, you know, there's that range of dysregulation and the nervous system and that window of tolerance. So I'd say as a starting starting point, the easiest way to think about trauma is on a spectrum um, and that trauma is a form of stress and it's really the most extreme form of stress that we can experience as humans. That's what we really reserve that word, that term trauma for. Um, so, you know, we all experience stress uh, on different levels, even just, you know, you and I getting organized to you know, get here and 
have this interview, there's lots of demands on us for some form of change. And so we're all experiencing stress and stress is often referred to as negative, um, but it can also be positive. We can get good news. Um, like, uh, we, you know, we, we fall in love, we get a, a job, we get some kind of good news and, and that will still exert some pressure on the nervous system. When it comes to trauma, there's a certain amount of stress that when we're under, um, we will have physiological responses that are, are not in control of our cognitive mind. So, uh, some of your listeners will know of um, these terms, fight, flight, freeze. It's like when we're at a certain level of stress, these kind of factory loaded responses will click in. And um, one of the ways I define trauma is any event or series of events that's stressful enough to leave us feeling helpless, overwhelmed, and profoundly unsafe. So as you said, you know, trauma can be a whole wide spectrum. And what I'm most interested in in my work is less about the content of an event, like, oh, did you or did you not experience trauma? It's more that are you having, um, what we'll talk about, we can talk about this in a moment, is um, a nervous system dysregulation, which is one of the symptoms of traumatic stress. So I, I don't train people often to be trying to take deep dives into whether they actually experienced trauma, it's more looking at their nervous system and how it is relating to a meditation practice. For new practitioners, how would you encourage them to like ask about those dysregulated moments in their meditation practice? You know, if they're not aware of it or how can they become more aware of those moments? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the main symptoms, so we talk about that spectrum of trauma, we have stress and then we have traumatic stress. And one thing that can happen for some people is they experience something known as um, post-traumatic stress or sometimes referred to as post-traumatic stress disorder. And this is when the uh, reactions that we are having in a moment uh, around a difficult or traumatic experience, it ends up extending into the future. And so common symptoms of post-traumatic stress, again, post, like it's after the trauma, would be something um, like I have a racing heart or intrusive thoughts, or I'm having flashbacks, which means I'm have, there's some kind of intrusion of memories about an overwhelming experience. Or maybe I feel dissociated and numb. Um, sometimes people describe it like when you're continuing to live through traumatic stress, it's like the accelerator and the brakes um, of the car of your nervous system are, are slammed to the ground or they're out of balance. So those are a couple of symptoms. And that's not to say that if you have those symptoms that you've necessarily experienced trauma, but when we're in the terrain of that kind of dysregulated, uh, what's called physiological arousal, when our nervous systems are a bit out of whack, sometimes meditation won't always be the practice that's going to support people. So to your question, if I was a meditator, if I'm a new meditator and I notice that every time I meditate, I find myself um, hypervigilant or I have like an exaggerated startle response or I'm finding that the practice is really evocative in a way that feels overwhelming, you know, that might be a moment to be in some inquiry about what's happening and whether there's some modifications to practices that might help. And that's, that's basically where I'm focused is there's some textbook things that we can look for around trauma when it comes to meditation. 
And this work is really about empowering people to notice that and be curious about modifications they might make to help them benefit practice. And, you know, it's always fascinating to me, like how meditation can dysregulate us, right? And like, why does that happen? Do you have any like yeah. insight on that? Well, I'm curious what you think too, but I, because given your teaching, for, for me, what I always come back to is that asking anyone to pay close and sustained attention to their inner world, which happens inside of meditation, that's a really big deal. And it's asking um, us to really focus in on um, the ways that we experience the world through our senses um, and really what's happening at a deep level. And for some people, that will be calming, regulating, supportive. It's like, oh, finally, I get to actually take a breath and check in with how I'm doing. On the other hand, if we've been, if we've experienced trauma, and we've spent a number of years really trying to avoid our inner world as a way to simply get through our lives, then that moment in meditation when we're asked to, say, for example, pay attention to the breath or notice, um, notice your thoughts and label them, it's just a big moment. And I think for anyone who's listening, who's practiced, we know that. We know that it's a uh, it's a pretty monumental turn of our intention, attention because mostly it's focused outwards. So I think of it at that level that it's just kind of a, it's a big turn in. And if trauma is there, we're inviting people into contact with potential remnants of trauma. So that's one way I think about it. What about you? What do you think of how people or why that's a big deal? I can only, you know, base it on my experience and the first years when I started meditating, which I didn't know what was happening. You know, I had, um, I had experienced this traumatic event, which for me was a blindsided breakup, but it left me, like you said, your definition of trauma, it left me completely helpless and like I had no choice, you know, and I didn't know what was happening. So as you know, someone that wanted some comfort, I started meditating because that's when you start meditating, right? When things are not right. going well, right. <laughs> you don't start meditating when things are perfect. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but you know, my body, I was extremely disconnected from my body for a long period of time. So once I started paying attention and sitting there, I would burst into like mm -hmm. tears all of a sudden. And you know, I didn't know what was happening. And then I went to a 10 day Vipassana retreat and my body, I would literally wake up in the morning sometimes. And I was like, an electric shock was running through yeah. my system and my body. It definitely has to do with paying attention to what's happening in that moment and how I was disconnected from actually being aware yeah. of what was happening to me um, yeah. in my life. Yeah. Thanks for sharing it. I mean, it reminds me that mindfulness, the practice, you know, it often reveals if we weren't already aware of it, the places that we might've been overwhelmed or that we, that places that are asking for some attention from us. And, you know, one thing that people sometimes kind of miss here from uh, when I'm talking about this work is that it's somehow just to you know, keep people comfortable, or if they've lived through trauma, they shouldn't meditate. And I have a very different view that 
you know, I, I'm thinking of you on the retreat, for example, uh, you know, that sounds like a lot. And there might be times where backing off of the practice, that might've been the operative move. And then other times, I mean, the practice to me is really designed to be able to support us to be present with greater and greater ranges of experience and to let that kind of move and process through the mind and body. So <clears throat> I don't think about, you know, meditation as just trying to be comfortable, actually quite the opposite. It's like we're learning to be with difficulty and there are times where we might actually get to a, a place where it's just overwhelming. It's too much. So, you know, for example, when you were on the retreat, was it helpful for you to stay with it or did you need something else besides the meditation practice? Because 10 days is a long time to be um, just practicing in an intensive way. I think, though, what played a role was that I was aware of my nervous mm -hmm. system and how it, you know, works. I knew the basics. So I felt empowered having the knowledge to be able to choose and say, you know, okay, like this is okay. I can kind of go through it. There were times where it felt I was exhausted, yeah. like it felt too much just physically. I was exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. And did you, this is where, I mean, this is where you and I connected around this work is what's important, given that you were empowered, that you knew, okay, I, I might need to make some shifts or maybe need to back off, go for a walk. You know, I meet a lot of people over the years who say, I, I didn't know that <laughs> there were options. Mm -hmm. And um, the good news is that a lot more meditation teachers, you know, for example, you, they're doing this training around trauma, which means that they can, you know, recognize symptoms of trauma uh, when it's happening for someone that they might be teaching. And then they have some tools to help respond effectively. So it's not just, you know, when I started this work, probably, I don't know, eight, nine years ago, the, the main critique I had, the concern I had was that if you went to a teacher on that retreat, that they would basically just say, go back to the cushion. Almost like when when you're a hammer and everything becomes a nail and just inviting people, you know, keep coming back. Eventually this will untangle, you know, and that's changing. And that's why I event, you know, did this work around trauma sensitive mindfulness was to support the modifications for people that unlike you, but maybe they didn't know, maybe they didn't know that there are moments where meditation can be too much. But and there's modifications that we can make that actually supports people to get the benefits out of the practice. So I'm glad to hear that you knew that you could make that shift. Yeah, but it's also so important to know, you know, that there are options. And that's why I'm so thankful and grateful mm. for your work. Because being able to have that knowledge uh, and training that you provide. So, you know, I can feel more empowered to you know, feel confident to teach meditation and guide meditation yeah. with other people, knowing that I can just recognize the basics, you know, Definitely. you know, for someone that that may not know there are other options because and you're right that that was a really big issue where it's like, just go back to meditate. This is the process. It sucks. You know, you got to kind of like power right. through it. That can be maybe uh, harmful. I don't know. What do you well, think? those are the people for sure. I think that have run into more serious problems. So there's a little bit of empirical research around this coming out of Brown University. It's called the Varieties of Contemplative Experience Project. Uh, it was um, authored by a neuroscientist at Brown University uh, named Willby Britton. 
um, and Jared Lindahl, who's a religious scholar. And basically, they did some targeted qualitative interviews that looked at people who had adverse experiences um, in meditation, you know, just to try to map the uh, the terrain here. And one of the more uh, difficult experiences that people had, or, the, or, or maybe I should say the people who ran into the most difficulty or trouble were often those who would kind of white knuckle grip their way through practice. And, you know, I'm sure there's some listeners out there where that that's their tendency. I know that was partly mine was to think when the going gets tough, I'm just going to double down and maybe have a breakthrough. Again, that's not to make that wrong or any kind of approach around intensity. It's not like intensity is bad, but that there are moments where that doubling down, as you just said, can actually create more dysregulation in the nervous system. So let me give you a quick example with trauma. So imagine that you're a meditator and um, you've had a history of trauma. And like similar to what you said, Dina, you come, you come to some kind of you know, day long or maybe you're on a retreat. And you start to connect with sensations that are connected to a traumatic experience. So, you know, you mentioned electricity. Other people might be uh, an intense kind of gnawing sensation in the stomach or the abdomen or a clenching. Uh, it could also be a feeling of terror in the chest or even in the legs. And so say you connect with this um, inside of your practice. And what you keep doing is bringing your attention back to these sensations because that's what's predominant you know it's like okay well let me attend to that and you're following the basic instructions and you're like okay let me stick with it and that's one of those moments where you know a doubling down kind of hanging in and continuing to bring attention to these dysregulating or traumatic sensations can actually land someone back right in the traumatic experience now, for many of us, that might be intuitive, like, okay, well, if it hurts, then I should back off. But you know, when it comes to meditation, there can be that tendency, like, okay, let me just keep attending here with the hope that eventually I'll have some kind of breakthrough. So that's been a big flag that I've tried to raise for meditation teachers and also students, is more is not always better when it comes to mindfulness and meditation. Sometimes it has to do, too, for me, it has been being aware of Trusting, trusting my yeah. body, actually, and trusting the clues and the cues it's giving me, uh, having been disconnected from my body for many, many years in, in the sense of like disordered eating, mm -hmm. you know, and um, that's so it's so important to just, you know, cultivate that awareness, which is kind of funny because we cultivate awareness with mindfulness and breath, you know, and mindfulness meditation, and then cultivating that awareness. We also have to be aware of that awareness. It's almost like it's uh, it's strong medicine and like any, like any medicine yeah. or any kind of pro yeah, let's say it's that medicine to use that um, metaphor that there there's instructions. <laughs> there might be time times where it's like, you know, more is not better. We don't want to take too much. And if we don't take enough, then we don't practice, then we're not getting the, the benefits. And, you know, inside of, say, for example, Buddhism, you know, we have 2,600 years of actually uh, really incredibly nuanced instruction about 
ways uh, to respond to overwhelming experiences, when to back off, when to open your eyes, when to go on a walk. It's not like what I'm saying is necessarily new terrain, but we're really looking at this through the lens of the nervous system and contemporary trauma work, which I think brings a whole new element um, to the work, or at least a helpful lens that we can look through in terms of, well, what can we actually do and what should we offer people? So, yeah, we have to be we have to be mindful. Um, you know, one example, just a quick example, is uh, my mom actually uh, she hurt her shoulder. She had a fall last year, and she's okay, um, but she was hurt, and she was having to go to physiotherapy. And this was an example to me of um, a time when there was an injury, which is kind of akin to trauma. Uh, you know, trauma is often talked about as a, a physiological injury or even a moral injury at times. Uh, but so imagine you've, you've had trauma, you have an injury. And then if you went to physio, you wouldn't just necessarily start doing push-ups. You, know, you wouldn't go for it all at once. You'd actually, you know, you'd build up to it and you might have some modifications to practice. So my mom had all these different exercises that she would do and she was told, you know, you can back off if it's too much, but we want you to work it. We still want you to work your shoulder. So I think this is comparable to this conversation around meditation and trauma is that if we've had an injury, there's a way to work it where we don't overwhelm ourselves and re-injure, uh, say, example, the shoulder, uh, but we're continuing to work with it. So that's really what we're up to here inside of this trauma-sensitive mindfulness work. Did we did we mention the window of tolerance? I don't think we yeah, no, talked we, about we that. Talk about it. Do you want to talk about it for a sec? So um, window of tolerance is a very helpful kind of framework to think about this. So for, for anyone that's hearing this that thinks, okay, well, how would I know? I mean, the big, biggest question that I get is, how would I know either as a meditator or as a meditation teacher when someone should stick with practice and when should they basically back off of practice? And it's a hard question to answer. You know, it's, it's going to be subjective for everyone. But one helpful uh, model around this is, is the window of tolerance. Uh, this comes from uh, neuroscientist Dan Siegel, that some, some listeners might know. And basically what Dan Siegel proposed is that um, in any system, there's a window um, called the window of tolerance that's between too much and too little. Uh, it's kind of like a sweet spot or a Goldilocks principle that says, um, here's what we can literally tolerate in terms of um, stress to the system. And above the window is when things are too much. And below the window is when there's not enough input, or it's almost like there's, it's too little. So this can be applied in a bunch of different ways. But if you apply it to trauma and the nervous system, what you can see is that there's a zone of um, kind of optimal uh, physiological arousal. This is known as a window of tolerance. And you know, you and I could do this and any listeners can do it right now. You could even just check in for a moment with your body and notice, do you feel like you're in a window internally where you can be present with what's here or the stress that might be present? And you might have had the experience where you might be out of your window and when you're out of your window, you're more likely to feel hypervigilant, overwhelmed, completely stressed out. Or on the bottom end, you might feel numb or dissociated or kind of foggy, disorganized cognitive processing. And this is a really common symptom when it comes to post-traumatic stresses that people end up outside of their window of tolerance. 
This is known as dysregulated arousal. So someone who's experienced trauma and is having ongoing symptoms, they're either experiencing life as kind of too much or too little. So with all that said, we can apply this to meditation and say, okay, well, ideally we want people to be able to access their window. If they're going on a meditation retreat, or even if they're just doing a simple practice and they find that in practicing, they're landing chronically outside of their window and they're not coming back, that can be a sign that they might need some one-to-one support. Uh, that That's a moment where if if we're not able to come back into our own window or if practice doesn't support us, again, we might need someone to track our nervous system in a moment-to-moment way. And mo- maybe we can pivot here. Most of the work that I do with trauma-sensitive mindfulness is to empower people with modifications to help them come back into their window. So again, we can come at this from a bunch of different angles, but that's the main premise is that we're helping people to get back in their window. How Would you like to kind of say what you offer and how you're helping and empowering, you know, teachers and, and practitioners to uh, do that and, and yeah, see that? To. So yeah, this is really where the whole framework around trauma-sensitive practice really hits the road, rubber hits the road here, because ultimately it's about tools. I don't know. Do you know Sharon Salzberg? Have you heard of, you've heard of her at all? Yeah. Yes, of course. So I, I, yeah. (laughs) So for those who don't know her, she's a a Buddhist meditation teacher who's been teaching for, gosh, I think 35 years now, um, who is focused primarily on loving kindness um, and also mindfulness and meditation. And I was, I got the chance to talk to Sharon and Sharon had actually done a a series of retreats for um, families here in the U S that were survivors of gun violence. And um, for those that don't know, there's just, you know, there's just a massive number of firearms here in the U S and so there's often a lot of violence. And so Sharon was doing work specifically around gun violence. And when she would be on retreats, of course, having some awareness about trauma was really important and helpful. And I asked her, I said, well, what did you need to know about trauma? How did you modify practice? And she said, well, the main thing that people wanted was tools. They really wanted tools. They said, beyond all other, all else, just help us with different tools that we can apply inside of our lives and not just on these retreats. So almost all of the tools that I offer inside of trauma-sensitive mindfulness and the training that you know that you know and you did is little tools, sometimes bigger tools that help people to access or come back into their window of tolerance. So some of the simplest examples would be uh, very, very straightforward modifications to meditation practice. So for example, someone knowing that they can open their eyes during practice. You know, I can't tell you the number of people I've met who they really wanted to be a good student. And so they kept their eyes closed. And by keeping their eyes closed, it made things quite intense, uh, maybe because they were having flashbacks. And so learning that it's okay to open one's eyes uh, inside of practice, a very simple modification, but also a useful one to help people sometimes come back into their window of tolerance. And then we can go, you know, you can direct me here how deep you want to go into this. But then we can go as far as to talk about, okay, well, um, what are the different things that we could say 
to someone who's struggling with trauma? How can we be physically positioned as a meditation teacher with our posture that would have someone feel safe, trustworthy, and able to access their window? So there's so many different modifications that we can make. And at the end of the day, Dina, I know you know this, it's about empowering people to have a whole range of tools that they can use and then apply inside of their practice. Yeah. And I know, you know, when I did um, Susan Piver's training where you were a guest to for one of the uh, classes, one of the weeks of our training. And, you know, I think there was that, how, how far do we go to tell people here's the modifications without, you know, completely altering the technique because right. right. the, the technique that we were trained in, you know, it's eyes open. Um, I don't know if there's any like insight or anything um, that you can share on that. Well, that's, I think you're touching on a core question inside of this work, because if we go too far down the road around modifications and trauma training, then we're ending up doing trauma work, which, you know, that's not a bad thing, but if you're not trained in doing trauma, that can be, um, you know, then you're not necessarily in your circle of competence. So there's this tension in an ongoing way of how far do we deviate from a standard practice or at what point have we gone so far away from a traditional meditation practice into something different? And I think that's a very dynamic question to be in. And I tend to come at this in just the most practical way, like what works, what works for someone. And at the end of the day, is practice making you happier, healthier, more regulated, more connected to yourself? Are you feeling like this is improving the quality of your life? Or is it leaving you more spun out, dysregulated, unhappy, and feeling like this is unhelpful in some way? And we can talk about all the different modifications we want around trauma. But I think that's the core question in a really practical way is, is the, this is what I encourage meditation teachers to ask themselves. Is the practice or the intervention that I am offering this person or this group, is it supporting them at some kind of core foundational level? And I know that's not an easy question always to answer because sometimes things need to get harder before they get better. But I do think we can come back to just this basic question. And But to your point, and I'd love to know what you think of this, I think there is a balance of we stay true to the teachings that we know and the containers and the structures that we're practicing within and the basic instructions that we're getting and that we can make, we can be empowered to make modifications. Core question here to me is, are we just practicing avoidance? Are we just trying to run away from what's difficult or are we making modifications to help us, you know, stay present with difficulty, which can be very helpful for anyone that's experienced trauma. But what do you think? What have you found in your teaching? Do you find that you deviate, you know, off the teachings or how do you incorporate uh, the trauma work? You know, I offer the teaching that I was taught and then, Another core teaching that I was taught by Susan was tune into your student, you know, tune into the person that you are guiding meditation and see what's happening with them and whatever it is that they're experiencing. That's what you need to be tuned in with and take out your basically, you know, take out your idea of what should be happening and actually address and tune in with the student and, and give them, you know, do what's best for the student in that moment and trusting 
you know, my intuitive and my inner, my intelligence to know in that moment based on the trainings I've done, trusting that I can at least back away when I don't yeah. know. Like that has been the most powerful thing. Like, okay, here's these things. I know I can do these things, but when I don't know, and I don't know what's best in this moment for that person, I'm going to back away and reassess, you know, and ask them what it is they need, you know, and then start again and go That's from beautiful. there. That's beautiful. That makes me think then that as you, for you as a teacher, that becomes a mindfulness practice to, to not know and to stay curious and to tune in, as you're saying, to the person that you're working with, which I'm not sure if this is your experience, but I feel like when you bring that quality of curiosity and mindful attention to someone else like you're shining that light onto them and the experience that they're having then that becomes a reference point also for them to say oh wow okay this is this is what it feels like for someone to pay kind of non-judgmental attention <laughs> to, to my experience can i also cultivate that presence with myself to be compassionate, to see if I can make space for what's here and just allow it to be here as it is. So I love that. I think that's a, that's a great teaching that you're naming about just kind of letting go of the, of the script or how it's supposed to be and getting really curious about what's happening for this person and what they need. Yeah, it is. It's like just letting go of that agenda and assessing and, you know, that's the awareness practice that has been for me, right? Being aware of what's actually happening right now. That's the mindfulness practice instead of being lost, you know, in what should be happening or what yes. did happen. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to bring up, oh, I wanted to bring up an example that I experienced a couple of days ago, going back to the window mm -hmm. of tolerance. You know, I heard this unexpected news that completely threw me off. So I really had these like flashbacks of feeling helpless or not knowing what's happening, kind of like the ground was taken from underneath yeah. my feet. And I was like, oh my God, what's happening? But it was only for an instant for me. I really was grateful for my practice so far and all the tools that I have, because in that moment, it would have taken me in the past a very, very long time to, I don't want to say recover, but to kind of, you know, be aware of what's actually mm -hmm. happening. And in the past, I would have been like all over the place and so stressed out for a very long time. But I was able to bring myself back. And it's not that the stress went away, but I was able to feel expanded enough at this point of my meditation mm -hmm. journey to hold that mm -hmm. right now, whereas I couldn't in the past. Um, so I just wanted to bring that up saying, you know, when we talked about the window of tolerance, and this was a very recent um, experience for me. Uh, it still sucked, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but I was aware of what was happening. Um, That's great. So it does get back to the window, as you were saying, and that, you know, I think with time and practice, there is more of a possibility of what you just described, where a flash comes of intensity and it somehow moves through the system 
like a kind of a, a thunderstorm or it has there's space it can move through and as you said you, you can come back and uh, the wider that our window of tolerance is the more likely it is that we're able to be with overwhelming and difficult experiences without becoming completely dysregulated and i say that as someone who um, that's not to <laughs> that's not to say that if we become dysregulated that we're somehow weak or um you know it's somehow our fault because what's so humbling about this work around trauma is that we're not often making conscious decisions about how our body responds to adversity it's like well i didn't want to get hypervigilant around this but i did so then that question come the question comes well how can i respond here what's what's the best move and so i love to hear you know what clicked in for you inside of your practice but the the wider our window is, then the more we can actually be with stress. But let me flip that for a sec. So if our window is narrow, which here we are having this conversation, uh, what are we, nine or 10 months in to the global pandemic around COVID-19, that stress and adversity that's happening at a collective level will tend to shrink or narrow our window of tolerance. So you can literally picture the pressure that's coming on a nervous system when we are in, you know, intense change or where there's just these different pressures that we're facing, the global pandemic being one. So I say that to give the example that for many people I know, it doesn't take as much right now for them to become dysregulated and spun out. It's like, it's like something that they usually could have been handled or tolerated like a traffic jam even, can just send them over the edge right now. And that's because the window is more narrow. So this example that you gave, what we're often developing over time in spiritual practice is that ability to have a wider window. Um, I, I sometimes have been in the question, is enlightenment having just a very, very, very wide window where we can be present with all that comes through our field of awareness? I mean, that's maybe for another conversation, but the wider our window, the more able we are to be with those big fluctuations and not get completely lost and, and spun out. So that's, that's a vote for practice to me. How does that, does that land with your experience that you, um, uh, that you had a couple of days ago? It does. And, you know, for me, how I connected with the practice in that moment or what I, you know, being stressed out about something in the future that could potentially happen and I could bring myself back to, okay, but what I'm afraid of right now is not actually mm -hmm. happening, you know, and the thing that is scaring me the most right in this moment is not happening. And that really comforted yeah. me a little bit. Um, and having the ability to let go of my thoughts, because again, that's part of the practice to let go of thinking, no matter what it is, that also comforted me. I kind of want to mention a little bit too, because, you know, as you know, meditation, like people think that they're going to meditate and it's going to cure and save and heal everything. And while it's healing and such a wonderful tool, you know, it's not the only thing that like for me being able to come into my window of tolerance, I worked really hard these past years with, you know, chiropractic care mm -hmm. and therapy, you know, and um, a psycho psychoanalysis and 
exercising, like all these other things. So I kind of want to like acknowledge, you know, that it's this whole range of things that help once we become aware uh, that, you know, our body is not just this, it doesn't need this one thing, like meditation is not gonna, you know, cure everything or like exercise or, you know, yeah. So I don't know what do you think of that. um, You're reminding me of the way that I mean, I had that approach for sure. I was, I was orienting to practice that it was going to kind of solve everything. Um, or I, at least I wanted to, cause I was in a lot of pain when I started to practice and, and I do think of it as one tool. It's one, but it's also an essential tool, um, especially when it comes to traumatic stress. So you, you just gave an example of like one of the reasons that meditation and mindfulness can be so helpful I think in life generally, but especially when it comes to intense forms of stress, you know, we'll often tend to ruminate or we'll, we'll find ourselves in the past or the future um, thinking about what might happen or what did. And as you said, that ability to come back into the moment over and over again and just go, okay, what's happening right now is an amazing skill and we need to practice it. It's not easy to cultivate that. We actually, that's, you know, with meditation, we build that muscle over time. And for anyone who's doing, you know, psychotherapy or trauma healing work, that ability to know what's happening when it's happening, to be suddenly back in the present moment, and not be swept away by a memory is uh, an essential ingredient inside of one's healing. So that's why, you know, some people will say, well, if, if someone who's traumatized might have trouble in meditation. Maybe they just didn't meditate. And to me, that's sorting out the baby with the bathwater. We, we, it's, it's about letting people access the potential benefits of practice, but making sure that there's some modifications in place so that they can get those benefits. So you're just reminding me of one reason why um, meditation can be so helpful when it comes to trauma. Yeah. And why you're doing this work. And it's amazing because you offer, you know, all the training that we need to know to actually help others experience these wonderful benefits, that meditation. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's not, it's not to fear monger. I think you probably know that because we know each other a little bit, but mm-hmm. you know, sometimes when people hear the topic, they think, oh gosh, is this just going to say, you know, bad things can happen. And you know, that's yes, people can run into trouble. Um, but it's not at all to fear monger and say you should be worried if you're a meditator or a teacher. On the contrary, it's actually to say you can be more empowered. The more that you know about trauma, the more confident you can be if and when it comes up in your practice or with a student that you can then respond effectively. And so it's meant to be an empowering topic and framework as opposed to, you know, we should be worried that something bad's going to going to actually happen. Yes. Um, let's see, is there, so, so before we close, uh, two things, is there number one, something that you want to mention that we didn't, uh, discuss and that you definitely want people to know? And number two, what are your thoughts on what's happening in 2020? Um, you know, how do you kind of see, I don't know, I I guess, you know what, I don't know what this question is on 2020. (laughs) It's like, how do you maybe like how do you see you know things 
panning out and people and how people are like so their window of tolerance is so small right now and any ideas on how this is all going to oh, evolve? Boy. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'd combine. I was going to combine the two because when you said anything we didn't talk about, I thought, I thought, well, let me, yeah, let's talk for a moment about just where we are. And um, I have a couple thoughts. One is just uh, the one of the benefits of the fact that um, I'd say trauma is so in the zeitgeist or in, in people's awareness right now is that when we're having these conversations about meditation and trauma, it's almost like the relevance has been set and that people go, like, we don't need to, sometimes I needed to talk about, well, here's why trauma is important or useful to know about. And right now it's like, we just, for any of us who are working one-to-one with people or in groups or doing meditation practice, trauma will be present. That, that's my, that's my sense. Um, in any room where mindfulness is being practiced and there's a, there's a good chance someone there will be struggling with trauma and and that we can be prepared for that either as a meditator or as a teacher um, and that this this period is so unique in terms of the prolonged sustained pressure and adversity the anticipatory both grief and um, potential trauma around COVID, the ongoing restrictions and limitations that create a sense of immobility and and um, not being sure what's going to happen next and the unknown, all of these factors are uh, kind of creating an environment that's really ripe with adversity and for some people trauma. And so I think it's I think this is going to be a long. I mean, it has been long and it probably will continue to be long in terms of the impacts, whether economic, on people's families, the losses that happened that people weren't able to fully grieve and process. There's just so much here. And inside of that, to me, meditation and practice is going to be key. Like you said earlier about knowing what's needed in a given moment, coming back to a sense of resource and resilience and our own ground and our own center. So I, I don't know where this goes, but I do know that I'm meeting with a lot of people who are very fatigued. Um, and I guess the final thing I'll say about that in terms of the fatigue is I, I have also experienced um, the resilience and resource that people have and, and just the adaptability of humans to make it work, whether it's the things that's happening around restaurants or trying to kickstart the economy back up or grieving rituals, things like that. We do our best as humans to just figure it out as we go. And so I'm also, I'm also hopeful inside of everything that we'll be able to find our way through. It just, it's, you know, we're in it, we're in it right now. And it might require a lot of things mindfulness and meditation being an operative tool that we can use not to cover over what's hard, but actually to expand our window and expand our capacity to be with it. So those are a couple thoughts about where we are. Anything you want to add? I completely agree with you because right when things started just feeling uncertain and everything was just falling apart, all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, like this, this is what I've practiced. Like this is what we've been trained right, right. to do you know this is what our meditation practice is like 
I'm sorry it has to, you know, be this way for the whole planet, but I was just like, wow, okay. And and you know, I was able to quickly come back to what's happening and say to myself, okay, what do I need to do right. next? You know, and actually seeing the practice into yeah. action. Yes. It's like the rubber's hitting so, the road here. It's like here's where we really need it. It really is. Yeah. It really is. Um, well, David, thank you so much. And I'm going to link to all of your offerings. If you want to talk about your offerings a little bit and what you have on your website, that'd be great too. Yeah, sure. I mean, thanks again for having me and for your work there in Greece. And, um, I, yeah, I have a website (laughs) as as many do, uh, and people are welcome to go and check out some resources. If you want to go deeper, I actually just made a, uh, created a free webinar, which I feel proud about. So if people want to take a more kind of a next level dive from our conversation here into understanding um, really the, I talked about it as the, these three myths around mindfulness and trauma and kind of more technical reasons that people run into trouble. So um, I have, it's free on the, on my website if people want to check it out. And I also have a podcast too. So uh, people are welcome to check out the podcast and we get to have conversations like this about how it relates to our contemporary moment. So thanks for, thanks for linking that. And and it's just great to be here. You can find David at davidtreelevin.com. And if you're a meditation teacher or a practitioner, I invite you to check out his free webinar, listen to his podcast, or read his acclaimed book, Trauma Sensitive Mindfulness. You'll find all of these links in the episode notes. Please make sure to rate and subscribe. It helps more people like you discover this podcast. You can find out more about me at theonefierceheart.com, and I'll see you again next time with a brand new episode.